Welcome to episode four of Glorious Professionals brought to you by GoRuck Media. Today, our guest is going to be Dr. Angel. He is an ER doctor in Texas. He's a former special forces medic. And for the last three weeks, he's been self-treating for coronavirus at his home in, in Texas. So he's a friend, met him a couple of years ago, and he sent me a text message and just said, hey, I, I've got coronavirus, which is always, that'll get your attention these days. And, and here's what I've been doing to self-treat. I think that other people might get some value out of this. And I'm not a medic. I immediately saw that there was a lot that I would want to know. And so we're coming at this from the same angle of, we just want to help empower you all so that you can get early warning on the symptoms that you can treat yourself as, as best as possible from home so that you don't have to go to the hospital. That's the goal. But also Dr. Angel is going to get into when you do need to go to the hospital. So if you haven't read it first, I recommend before you listen to this podcast, you go ahead and read Dr. Angel's coronavirus care. It'll be in the footer here. It's also on goruck.com and on our blog and everything. But he talks all about the importance of hydration and immune support, what to, what to use, specifics, talks about diet, fresh fruits and vegetables, medications like Zycam, equipment such as vaporizer machines and Vaposteam, you know, the importance of exercise, taking hot baths, hygiene, and, and really just the basics of, of what that is really gets into shortness of breath and having difficulty breathing being signs that you are getting sicker and need to go to the hospital to see a physician. So I'm excited to share this with you all. I feel like it's timely and I think you'll get a lot of value out of it. So let's get started. Dr. Angel, welcome to Glorious Professionals. It's an honor to have you on, sir. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Thanks. Yeah, so we published your blog post about contracting COVID-19, and we've seen it sort of circle around the, the interwebs and, and really take hold. I think it was just some real talk that you gave to people how to deal with this, because there's a lot of fear going on out there, and, and you gave a really level-headed perspective. So first off, thanks for that. We'll get into some of those details. First, for, for those of us out there that don't know you, just tell us about who you are. Okay. My name is uh, Dr. Richard Angel. Currently, I live in Fort Worth, Texas. I practice emergency medicine out here. I'm a retired uh, lieutenant colonel, uh, 26 years in, some reserve time, 13 active, 13 reserve. I was a, gosh, a private E1 in the, uh, in the Army and the uh, Airborne Infantry and Charlie Airborne in Alaska. Then I went to Ranger School with the SF Selection, went to the Q courses in 18 Delta, which is a Special Forces medic, which is pretty advanced medical training. Uh, and then uh, weren't any big wars going on, so not much to do. So I got out and uh, went to college and medical school in Texas. And then I went back in, back on active duty in the Army. And I was I was a battalion surgeon for 1st Battalion, 7th Special Forces Group from 2003 to seven. And then I finished the rest of my time in the reserves, but I was in Afghanistan and other places. I'm getting old. <laughs> That's what it means. <laughs> well, you look stellar, sir. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you, you don't believe I'm uh, older than I look, probably. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of service. Yeah. What, a couple decades there? Oh, yeah, yeah. 26 years in. And then, you know, I've been a doctor for 20 years and so. So us, you know, we, we met kind of randomly because your, your family lives close to where GORUCK is in, in Northeast Florida. And, you know, we just sort of ran into each other, uh, <laughs> bought you a beer, talked about a little bit, both share the same Army Special Forces background. And so there's a commitment to service that is foundational there. And then when you get into, hey, you've got these similar, similar regiment, it immediately connects you. So I was really grateful that you reached out and you said, hey, I have coronavirus. Here's a screenshot of what I've been telling my friends, and this can be helpful. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I thought of these guidelines because I was going through the coronavirus, you know, having it, you know, a lot of people don't know a lot of the symptomatic care and the things that can help you stay well and stay out of the hospital. And so I put it, uh, put something on my Facebook, a lot of jokes involved with that one. And then I said, you know what, uh, a member of the GORUCK family, love GORUCK products and use them for years. I love Jason and the team there. So I decided to reach out to GORUCK and say, well, maybe we can get this out to more people. And ultimately, my only goal is to help people, help keep people out of the hospital for their health, safety and well-being. And it, it benefits the hospital staff, too, that, uh, you know, is overwhelmed. So 
Yeah. So let's start with your journey with coronavirus and then talk about just some, some of the implications of how people can feel empowered because that's what you're doing here. You're empowering people to, to treat themselves. Right. So let's talk about your specific journey. Get, get as specific as you want. I mean, people respond really well to specifics. Sure. Okay. Well, uh, you know, I was exposed to the virus, you know, probably early March. It was kind of early in the, in this whole situation, which was really unfolding in Washington, you know, New York and, and, you know, hadn't been that many cases in North Texas, uh, and and a lot of places around the United States. And and a lot of it was probably out there and we weren't sure about. So I was exposed, you know, like most of us are, and, and, and most of us will never know, or may never know nowadays as it's community spread. It could be that trip to the grocery store. It could be, you know, anything. So I was exposed and, you know, I was like, hmm, you know, I started looking up, look, listen to some of the ID experts, infectious disease experts. And they said, you know, four days, four to five days is generally when people start having symptoms. And of course, you'll hear anything from two days to two weeks after exposure that people have symptoms. And, you know, being a special forces guy, working in the field, I kind of treat myself and I operate that way. And, and do more with less, right? There's a resilience factor to it. Do more with less. Uh, yeah, do it myself. You know, I don't, I just I do everything myself a lot of times. And um, I, I did mention, my wife mentioned, which was, which is interesting too. She said, you know, we have a daughter with Down syndrome, a wonderful girl. You know, they have their airway closes up when they're young and they have some kind of autoimmune type issues, uh, for lack of better words, it's not really autoimmune, but immune. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I've been keeping her and my other daughter as a parent, you know, out of the ER. So having a special forces background, having a daughter with these respiratory issues has helped me. So then when I, you know, and then I've been a doctor for 20 years, I've worked in the hospital a ton. So I also have the background of seeing, you know, when people do really poorly, uh, when they're in the hospital, when they're in the ICU and I'm taking care of them or, or just, you know, helping take care of them as part of the team. You know, you see people that are really bad. You see ARDS. What's ARDS? Acute respiratory distress syndrome. And that's where you see those diffuse ground glass opacities on the x-ray. It looks almost like cotton balls all over the x-ray. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, an ominous sign. So anyway, you see a lot of these things. You see pneumonias. You see you know, 25 year old male that gets strep pneumonia and you're giving him all the antibiotics that kill it and they still die. And, you know, working in a hospital, you sort of see the, the end stages of a lot of these disease processes. And a lot of times you, you don't see as much, the less severe forms. So I think this also gave me a perspective catching the coronavirus and knowing what can happen, the worst case scenario. So you got, what was the first thing? I mean, was it fever? The first thing I noticed, so no, and see, like I said, this was a little bit early on, and a lot of the data uh, from China uh, was saying that fever, dry cough, and those type of things were the hallmark symptoms, you know, and I I have some papers, uh, medical literature, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's, those are some of the key symptoms, and I think that's true when you look at patients that report to the doctor or the emergency room, they might have those symptoms, but initially, uh, it's often more uh, that we found out later that I didn't realize I may have it. I'm like, I initially had a sore throat, mm-hmm. kind of a dry sore throat. I didn't have patches on the sore throat. So if you have a sore throat, you know, if you're able to shine a flashlight and look at your, the, look the back of your throat, you know, if you see whitish, yellowish patches that may be pus, you know, that's consistent with a strep throat. So if you don't see any of these patches, you just see a you know, your throat's red and flamed back there. Like that was the first symptom. So you were, you did not have the pus you had. just. I did not have the pus and patches that would be consistent with strep throat. Got it. So I had a sore throat. uh, And then, you know, shortly after that had a runny nose and these are, you know, symptoms of coronavirus. And then I felt it moved down to my chest and within a few days started to develop dry cough. And that's when I was instituting a lot of the things that I put out in my information, you know, staying well hydrated, plenty of warm beverages. You know, I have a hot tub, so I soak in it, you know, artificially induced fever. I don't know how (laughs) how much science is behind that, but it seems to help. So what was the moment when you said, oh, damn, I got the virus? Well, uh, when I started to get that dry cough, then I said, oh, wait, this is this is the dry cough for sure. And then uh, I also had a couple episodes of night sweats where I was laying there at night and I was I would soak the sheets. 
so the sheets would be soaking wet. I and mean, these are the questions I often ask patients. Well, you've had, you know, night sweats. Do you soak the sheets? <laughs> that's, that's real night sweats, you know. Well, I get hot at night, but I've got a foam mattress or something like that. Yeah, I get hot, but that's different than, you know, soaking the sheets. So I soaked the sheets. Oh, yeah, I did want to mention, and early on, I had a sore throat. And then, like, you know, one of those days, I had some sharp headaches in the back of my head, unlike any headaches I'd really ever had before. Okay, it wasn't like a, a throbbing, squeezing headache up front that you often get. It's a sharp headache in the back. I mean, and you're a healthy guy. I know you're at the hospital, which is a great place to get sick in general. Yeah, I do Ironman triathlons for the last four years. I don't have any medical problems. I don't take any medicines, uh, no blood pressure pills, anything like that. I don't smoke. So I'm relatively healthy. I think I have a strong heart and lungs, luckily, from doing that kind of training for the last four or five years. Uh, And I think that's helped immensely. Um, And I will note for for your listeners, what you can do if you're not sick now, try to improve your cardiovascular status within reason. You know, this is not the time to really push yourself and give 110%. This is the time to push to 90 or 80 or 90%, depending on your health, of course, if you're, if you're not in good shape, you know, just work out mildly. But just stuff where you, you shouldn't really have much of a recovery. If you have a recovery, your immune system's probably being stressed a little too much right now. From the working out. From the working out. So you don't want to try to set, you know, the one rep max or like, don't go run your first marathon. Right. Yeah. Now's not the time to do that. Now, if you're in very good shape and you normally run 10 miles a day, you know, uh, you know, no harm, no foul there. But if you're having, you know, multi-day recoveries and you're probably pushing it too much and you're probably affecting your immune system. That's kind of where we all are. We're kind of in maintain mode. Right. And we can't get out and do the things we would like to. Right. So I want to go back to your sort of self-treatment. You remember the lesson in SEER school about go ugly early, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so in survival school, it basically means if, if you know that you have no future food source, don't be afraid to eat whatever it was for you. For me, it was skunk roadkill, Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. I don't, don't hope that later on it's going to just turn naturally. And so yeah. my parallel to that is just to say you, you immediately treated yourself and, and already had a strong foundation of cardiovascular strength and just physical strength. And so you, I mean, that's what your, your list says to me is you just went into 18 Delta special forces medic mode on yourself. Right. And this is what you did. Right. I just sort of intuitively realized all this stuff. And I said, oh, man, and I know how bad it can be. Is it something to have fear of? Yes. Just like you're, you fear of you know, a squad of guys coming at you with machine guns. That's not irrational. You should have fear because it will kill young people and it will kill anybody. It's very dangerous. Don't underestimate the COVID-19 virus. Okay. And that's why I'm here. But uh, that being said, fear is irrelevant. You know, <laughs> we do what we got to do regardless of the fear. Let me, let me go back to my symptoms because I think that's important. And then we can talk a little bit more about treatment. So I did have these sharp headaches, but I said, you know what? I'm not going to take any medicine for it. You know, I'll just bear with it. So what? Drink some water. Good idea whenever you have a headache because dehydration can cause it or worsen it. So I had some of these sharp headaches. You know, I had the night sweats. Uh, what else did I have? I had some... GI discomfort, I would say some loose stools, not watery diarrhea, but throughout the course, I've had occasional kind of soft and loose stools, nothing horrific. I had abdominal pains too, a couple days that I had, you know, bit over severe abdominal pains. It almost felt like a gas, like a severe pain and the continued dry cough. And I could feel it getting kind of lower and lower as it was kind of in the center of the chest. And if you read the accounts and the symptoms, you know, all my symptoms match up exactly, but were never extremely severe. I have a friend that I believe had coronavirus and he had severe coughing and severe chest pains and shortness of breath. And I had a buddy, a fellow physician, had to come to my house in the middle of the night to, to do some treatment on him, listen to him, check his pulse ox. Uh, so we checked him out and cleared him. So I had kind of all of the symptoms. And, and over the last few days, I felt my strength returning. My voice is sounding better. And I'm on about three weeks. The course usually is the first week are often mild symptoms. And I just listened to a great podcast called This Week in Virology. Very exciting. (laughs) Uh, That sounds awesome for everyone out there. Go get some. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you can Google it. I think it's Dr. Daniel Griffin and it's This Week in Virology. And he was the guest doctor, but he is actively treating COVID patients in the ICU. 
And he gave a lot of good information. So these are the scientific people that I would listen to. Of course, the CDC, listen to scientists. So that's kind of the course of my disease. There were several nights uh, I, that my wife and I were worried, you know, that I might take a downward spiral. And I've seen it happen in the hospital. I know it happens. You know, I checked my temperature much of the time. I never had a high fever. Um, my pulse ox did go to 93 a couple times, um, was not too bad. I have been short of breath a lot where the littlest things, you know, walking across the house rapidly or speaking in a long, full sentence uh, would make me short of breath. Uh, talking on the phone, I'd have to stop it. Um, maybe I was rambling on. <laughs> but so I, I did have those type of symptoms. And it was, oh, yeah, the loss of smell and taste. Two days ago, I woke up and I could smell for the first time in a couple of weeks. So that is kind of a hallmark feature, which probably most of your listeners have been following in the news that the loss of smell is common with coronavirus. So if you have a dry cough, you have a loss of smell and taste and you have it now, there's a good chance that you have it. So at what point when you were at those low moments, middle of the night style, which is just not something that anybody wants to face. I mean, at what point would you have gone to the hospital? For me, it's a very high bar because <laughs> I was in 18 Delta and I, I have to be dying to go to the hospital. <laughs> but it's kind of like when you look at someone, though, when I look at someone who's sick, you know, I can look at them and watch their breathing. And then I ask them, how are you doing, Mrs. Johnson? Oh, I'm doing fine, except I'm just, I just think I'm a little bit sick. You know, if you can speak in complete sentences and you're not breathing more than 20 or 22 times a minute, you're probably doing okay. Okay. That's absent a pulse oximeter. Right. That's just ground truth, real talk. With Everyone's a special snowflake, but. That's just ground truth, real talk. If someone looks like, or they, if you're the patient, you feel like, you know, I'm on mile five of my run and I'm sitting here, you know, obviously you can't maintain that for any length of time and you can rapidly drop. So if you're out of breath at rest, if you're sitting still and you're out of breath, the recommendation are if you're short of breath, you need to go to the ER or call your doctor at a minimum. Um, if you're all alone and you're short of breath and you don't have someone to help look out for you, you know, you need to set the bar a little lower of when you should go in. If you use a pulse oximeter. Easy to get on Amazon, not expensive, right? Easy to get on Amazon. Jason put up a link for a $25 one that's got thousands of reviews. They're simple devices. They used to be cutting edge back in the day. Great for throwing on a helicopter where you are triaging patients where you can't hear anything. You put that on. If it's good, you know, somebody's not that sick. So it's just a little clip that you put on your, yeah. your index finger. Or in, in index finger, and it's got a little light beam that shines through. If you've got nail polish, if you're a female or a dude who likes to wear nail polish, keep that off if you're sick uh, because the nail polish will inhibit that light beam. And that's what we do in the hospital. We clean them. So you use the pulse oximeter and it's got to get a good waveform. In the hospital, we can look on the machine and see the kind of a waveform and say, oh, it's picking up accurately. Uh, a lot of ones will, will have a beeping of the heart rate. And uh, if it gives an accurate heart rate and it gives you your number, it's probably accurate. But sometimes you have to give it a little time and, and take a few readings. You know, if it's bad on one finger, do it on another. Your heart rate, you know. If it's below 100, you're not that bad. You know, 60 to 90 is pretty good. Most importantly is that, you know, if you're sitting still and you're in the 110s or 120s on your heart rate, again, it's like you're running a race, but you can't sustain that. And you don't know how weak you are from the start or how bad the condition your lungs are. The key thing, take home point, is the pulse oximeter, the reading of your oxygen. And normal for adults, uh, without medical problems is about 96 to 100. Kids usually run higher and kids can drop quicker. Um, kids are not as affected by the coronavirus. For adults, when do I need to go to the hospital? When do I need to be concerned? Probably 93 and below. Like I said, mine got to 93 a couple times. I uh, put on some vapor rub. I take a dose of that Buckley's cough syrup, which is like a menthol. Eat some cough drops, make some herb tea. I sit up because when you're laying down at night, all the fluid goes and that clogs your lungs. You know, for simple terms, it's harder to breathe when you're laying down. So you sit up and that gravity helps that fluid drain and opens up more of the bronchioles to, to get oxygen in. So would it be best to almost sleep in a hospital bed or in a lazy boy recliner? Uh, if you're really sick, yes. 
And you know, the audience may or may not have relatives or those sick people, COPD, congestive heart failure patients that do sleep in a recliner in an elevated bed. I would say if you're so sick that you're, if you're otherwise healthy and you don't normally sleep with a bed elevated, then you really should probably be in the hospital. I mean, this is nothing to play around with. I'm not trying to give guidance for people to stay at home and manage themselves. I'm trying to prevent you from getting low. Right. So you're used to managing people and yourself. I mean, your your bar should be. Yeah, my bar is higher because I know and I also know that I'm looking at the numbers. I'm used to being up in the middle of the night doing this stuff when I haven't slept as a resident and such. And I've been, you know, special forces. I know when my mind is not performing accurately. Most people don't know that very well. Honestly, I know exactly when my decisions are appropriate and when they're not as appropriate. Most people don't understand that level because they haven't been to that edge and they also may not know medicine. So I would say, you know, if you get 93 and lower, if you're out of breath, if you feel you're out of breath, if you feel that I'm sick, I'm not getting better. I feel like I'm scared for my breathing. You need to be going to the hospital. You don't play around. And so what are they going to do for you at the, at the hospital at that point? <clears throat> so you can see still a little bit of lingering cough. So at the hospital, they're going to throw a pulse oximeter on you. They're going to take your vitals. They'll probably do a flu swab and a strep swab and maybe, a, maybe the COVID test, the nasal swab. But most importantly, they're going to put a pulse oximeter on you. And if you're having trouble breathing or your pulse oximeter is low or both, they're going to put oxygen on you and they're probably going to start with the nasal cannula, the little plastic tube. And that gives you supplemental oxygen and that that generally you can put it on two to four liters a minute, you know, often just on two liters a minute. And that'll raise you. Oh, I was at 92 percent on room air, which, you know, is what, about 17 percent oxygen room air. By putting the supplemental oxygen, you're increasing the oxygen concentration of what you're breathing in. So your oxygen blood level will come up and your pulse ox will come up. And if it comes up and you're breathing good and they monitor you for a while, uh, they'll probably do a chest X-ray, some blood work, and then see how you do. And they would either admit you kind of for observation and supplemental oxygen and possibly some medications. Or they'll observe you, see how you do off of the oxygen. Hey, the slang was trial of life, you know, which means, hey, let's turn your oxygen off and watch your sats. Hey, talk to me. You know, give me some full sentences. Talk to me. See if they're maintaining their saturations. Then they can. Pro then they might be able to go home. Now, as they do worse, or if they're worst case, then they might use a face mask oxygen, and that can give a higher concentration of oxygen. And then further levels, maybe a CAT scan of the lungs, a CT scan of the lungs, will give a more accurate evaluation of the lungs. And with the X-ray and the CT scan. You're looking for the COVID infection itself, the, the hallmark findings on those imaging studies, or a subsequent pneumonia, a bacterial pneumonia that can develop, which is often a cause of death. So that's what you were afraid of, right? The pneumonia. That's what I was afraid of. So I was afraid of, A, having to go to the hospital, B, needing oxygen of any type, C, deteriorating because of the coronavirus, taking hold in my lungs, mucus plugging. That's why hydration, you know, warm beverages, maybe the warm soaks, the immune support, the nutrition, all these methods are very important to prevent you from spiraling down this spiral. That's why I'm doing this. So as you further worsen, then you need a face mask that seals like some people have on machines at home at night. And then a hospital, we use BiPAP and that forces the oxygen in. And you can do that while you're conscious. Okay, it's got a seal kind of like the bags we use in CPR and bag people. It's a seal like that that blows oxygen. It keeps your alveoli open. Is, is this the big ventilator? This is the step before a ventilator, the BiPAP machine. Now, there's two dangers. If you use a nebulizer machine at home, which you can buy on Amazon, and you can use saline nebulizers, which will moisten the lungs, almost like old-fashioned sitting over a boiling pot of water with a towel over you, that's kind of the way the nebulizer work. It, it has the saline, which are the little plastic pink ampules. Um, and then people often add albuterol or atrovent, other medicines that are used for people with asthma and COP that help open up the airways. 
and you would need a prescription for that from your doctor. And if you have asthma or underlying conditions, you definitely need to have a nebulizer machine at home, face mask and tubing for everyone, and you know the medications and the saline. Uh, someone pointed out the danger with the nebulizers, which they're not using in the hospital for COVID patients that much, is because it aerosolizes. Okay, you can easily imagine you have a little bit of blowing in there, and now you have an aerosol cloud creating around you. And when you talk about BiPAP, which has that sealed face mask, you know, that's even in many situations avoided uh, in the hospital with COVID patients because it just fills the room with aerosol particles and endangers everyone. Uh, so the next step down to worsening is endotracheal intubation. Okay, and that's the sickest patients. Essentially, endotracheal intubation means ventilator, ICU, respiratory therapy, dedicated nurses, dedicated critical care physicians. And a tube down your throat at some point, right? Yeah, tube down your throat. So in order to put a tube down into your trachea, the preferred method, especially in this case, is rapid sequence intubation. So they you know, give you some medicines that rapidly paralyze you so you don't choke and vomit. Um, they paralyze you, which means you're no longer breathing. So if you're left there for more than a you know a short period of time, you'll die unless you're given oxygen. So that's why it makes it a critical emergency medicine and ICU skill is this intubation. So they put the tube down your throat, probably as big as your pinky or so, and it's got a little uh, bulb on the end, almost as big as a lollipop that you put a small amount of air in, and that seals the uh, tube to your trachea. So if you were to vomit, it doesn't allow vomitus to go down your trachea and give you a pneumonia, aspiration pneumonia. It also allows a good seal where you can add positive pressure ventilation, which they call PEEP, which PEEP is positive in expiratory pressure. So the ventilator is a machine, a computer-controlled machine that gives you breaths. It keeps you alive. It breathes for you and pushes the oxygen-rich air into your lungs. Those intubation procedures are risky because they blow aerosolized particle all over the place. You know, it's very important and very difficult. I mean, with our frontline hospital workers right now are the special operations and soldiers of all types. That's what these guys are now. They're on the front lines and they're risking their lives doing these procedures. It feels very much like that to me. I mean, I, I don't want to equate this to a, a war. It's different, right? Yeah. Like you need different words. But it's like that. And, and, and I would almost, gosh, I would almost say the people in the hospital, you know, may have it harder. And I, I don't say that lightly. I mean, you, you sit and think of what happened after 9-11 with the yeah. law enforcement, the, the cops, the, the firemen. I mean, we're all just watching at ground zero what's going on on TV. And that's happening in every hospital in the country right now. And it's yeah. it's really taxing you yeah. and the whole staff and, and everyone in, in healthcare at the moment. Yeah, it, it certainly is. And it certainly, I mean... Excuse me. See, I get out of breath a little bit. It's like, as you're describing ICU, I mean, that's a massive amount of work right. for an entire team and staff. And at a time when resources are spread really thin. Right. So it brings it back to us, right? I, I think what's really important is just how serious this is. And, and you're making the case for how serious this is and how much you did to treat yourself. Mm -hmm. And then what you were hoping to avoid right. in an attempt to not go to the hospital, which is not just about you though. And that's the big thing. Right. That's the important part. Yeah. I want all of us in, in you know, having the background in, in the army special operations, it's not about you. And you learn that at every stage, it's about the team. Yeah. I think that's your, one of your go rock mottos. Not about you, isn't it? It is. It's not about you. And so everybody's in this. You need to take care of yourself so that you don't steal resources that are needed for somebody else at these hospitals. The, yeah, the, these requirements, um, you know, and of course, the United States, excellent medical system, excellent medical care, which is all uh, high tech and expensive. And it's just not designed for uh, an overwhelming pandemic. I mean, what hospital could justify having, you know, surge capacity of 10 times the ICU beds? You know, we can't afford it. So a COVID patient can often be on the ventilator for 14 days. So two weeks for one patient and, you know, an ICU nurse can really only take care of one to three patients, maybe more if it's kind of in a crisis situation, but an ICU doctor can only handle so many patients. He needs, he or she needs a team of respiratory therapists, 
Uh, and all these people have to get in the full, get in protective equipment. Um, so it's labor intensive, it's material intensive, it's logistics intensive, it's morgue intensive, it's everything intensive. Um, everything you can do to stay away from the hospital right now is very, very important. And you're doing it for everyone else. And you're doing it for those healthcare providers. Anything you can handle with your primary care or specialist over the phone, you handle. Um, anything you can possibly do to relieve uh, the burden. So our, our heroes in the hospitals you know, are able to focus on all these patients because if they get overwhelmed, they're just gonna have to make the choices that you know, uh, mom or grandma may not be able to get a ventilator. And it's, that's the sad reality. And I read this, there was a 90 year old lady in, in Belgium who said, don't, don't hook me up to the ventilator to someone who's younger and needs it. I've had a nice life. I'm like, man, you know, it, it's important for us to stress to the youth that it's not just reckless. I mean, it's great. Okay, great. Congratulations. You're going to get it. And it's going to be a bad two weeks like Dr. Angel had or three weeks and you're going to have a cough and you're going to get over it. But the more it spreads, the more that we're just endangering people that we love and we're, we're putting greater strain on, on the healthcare workers, these healthcare heroes. And we, we have to do our part. Yeah. We have to stay home, watch hands, follow all the guidelines, listen to your leaders. And I, I put a quote on my Facebook. It's, it's not my quote. It's from a WHO uh, leader who said, everything you do before a pandemic is seen as alarmist and everything you do after a pandemic is seen as not enough. Yeah, it's truth. So we stress how serious this is. Let's also go down in your, your care. If you're out there and you're listening, Dr. Angel's blog post will be attached to this, this podcast and highly encourage you to, to read it. But I just want to go down the bullet points because you wrote this at least a few days ago. Maybe there's a little more perspective, a little bit more yeah. and just talk about these are ways that you can avoid going to the hospital, which is the goal. I mean, in any time, the hospital is a really good place to get sick. So avoid it if you can, especially now. I mean, I know you're not saying don't go to just be tough. If you really need to go, which you've outlined already, then go. But your goal is to teach people how to self-treat so that everybody isn't just rushing a system that can't deal with it. That's exactly it. We need to really become very educated on how to self-treat. And we also need to know uh, when we need to go seek medical attention or go to the ER, which I've kind of covered mainly the shortness of breath. Of course, altered mental status is one too. Someone is not acting normal. Yep. Let's go down some of these Dr. Angel's coronavirus care. Number one, you say hydration. I can't overemphasize this enough. Let me say that you, you can become overhydrated. If you are pounding liters of water, you know, every hour and your urine is always clear, your sodium and other electrolytes can drop and kill you. You know, it's you can overhydrate. Okay. But for most of us, we want our urine to be light yellow most of the time. That's a good general guideline. Okay. And clear sometimes. Um, if it's clear all the time, 24 hours a day, you're probably drinking too much water. The importance of hydration, to give you a, a background, if someone has an overwhelming body infection, which is another big cause of death with coronavirus, it's called sepsis. The infection's in your blood. You are circling the drain, okay? You're headed towards death, potentially. One of the treatments, of course, is, is antibiotics, uh, broad-spectrum antibiotics, and the other treatment is fluids. The routine treatment for a sepsis patient, you come into the ER, you're really sick, the routine treatment for most people is 30 cc's per kilogram of IV fluid, like normal saline or ringer's lactate, for instance. So for a set average 70 kilogram, that's two liters right off the bat of fluid into your vein. So two liters initially, and then a follow-up, another liter. So someone who's a 160-pound guy is going to get three liters into their vein. That's the treatment for overwhelming infection. So what does the fluid do? It enables your body's immune system to work better. It enables the lymphatic fluid, the uh, blood cells, the white blood cells to get to the target of infection. If you're dried out, everything's viscous. It's not, your lymphatic system is not working as effectively. 
nothing is working as effectively. It's also what you brought up before about if you're going to get sick, don't start at a deficit. Right. You want to be as healthy as you can. Very important. Everyone right now certainly needs to be maximizing their immune system. And once you start to show any symptoms of any type of upper respiratory infection, it needs to be almost a full-time job. Someone had commented, oh, that's stuff you're telling is basic cold care. Well, yeah, it is basic cold care, but it's kind of at an advanced level. It's almost a full-time job to do everything right. It's almost like, you know, you're on a health plan. Uh, you want to maximize everything. You want to go into that potential out of breath, really sick. When COVID really starts to take over your body and send you to the hospital and try to kill you, you want to be at your best. You're ready to start that Ironman. It's race day when you get really sick. Be harder to kill. Harder to kill. Exactly. And that's the way I've looked at it the whole time. I was like, you know, it may sound gruesome, but that's exactly the way I think. I was like, I'm not easy to kill. It's going to be very, very hard to kill me. And that's the way I look at it. I look as the virus is trying to kill me. The virus is trying to replicate. The virus is trying to create conditions to kill me or to make a bacterial infection, super infection, kill me. And I'm going to stop it. And so back to hydration, can't emphasize enough. You also flush your kidneys. The uh, coronavirus is nephrotoxic, toxic to the kidneys. And how do you treat that? You treat it by flushing the kidneys. And that's what we do in the hospital. So hydration, hydration, hydration. I mean, hydration is one of those things that's army everything too. Yeah. When we step foot in infantry basic training day one, when you're a cherry private, what's the first thing you hear is hydration. Pick up your left canteen down it. A minute later, pick up your right canteen, down it. You you remember that? Yeah, yeah, the drill was, hey, every time I say drink water, you drink it after you say in unison, damn, it's hot. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Right. It's January in Fort Benning, yeah, Georgia. Georgia. And yeah. drill's oh, like, yeah. drink water. And you're like, damn, it's hot. And then you got to drink it and you hold it over your head. And show them that you've downed a quart. Yeah. yeah. So I knew hydration would be important to stress. Let's hit the uh, the main bullets in these next because we've got some to get through. So if you say immune support, you're, you're talking about Zycam and emergency and vitamin D. I mean, is it possible to overdo that stuff? I think so. I think uh, on the Zycam thing, it says max seven a day. You know, I've had positive experience. I've had recommendations for people that Zycam works well, especially with URI type things that start in your throat. And I think uh, those zinc lozenges create an unfavorable environment for the virus. And I like to take one. I have some water beside my bed. I, you know, every night vapor rub, turn on the humidifier, maybe some vapo steam, which is the liquid VIX stuff that you pour on the top of the vaporizer and drink water. And then I take the Zycam and just let it sit in the back of my throat before I go to sleep. In the morning, I drink some water and I pop another Zycam and let it sit there. And then maybe a couple throughout the day. I don't think it's going to hurt anybody and it may help. Um, the emergency packets, those are supposed to help, I think, before you get sick to help your immune system. I just heard that virologist say there's not really conclusive proof that it helps after you get the illness. Um, there's some immune supportive mushrooms out there that may be useful. I know on it sells some. Uh, Jason, you're probably aware. But multiple immune support things. The other thing that's a big immune support, fresh air, sunshine, walks or exercise, and a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables. I can't overemphasize that enough. You should be eating oranges every day. There's been links to uh, decreased depression from eating fresh fruits and vegetables every day. So try to do what we know is good in the modern world and try to maximize it. Get your calorie intake up. Unless you're obese, you don't need too much, but have a well-balanced diet. It's good, good protein. Uh, get yourself ready for that Ironman because you may be running it for your life. And, and how many calories a day were you sort of eating relative to your, your normal diet? Because I'm, I'm, I'm sure you got outside, but I'm sure your activity was also lower than usual. Activity was lowered. I've actually put on a little bit of weight. Um, I'm a pretty thin guy naturally. I would just say eat what you normally eat. And unless you're really struggling with, with being overweight, then you might eat a little more. Any quality lean protein, I think, is good right now you know, saturated fats and all that things. We want to stay away from fatty foods and stuff. Just the basics. Now is the time to build up your system. You know, going on a, on a very strict diet right now is probably not a good idea. Or if you start to show symptoms, certainly return to a full 
well-balanced diet. So you don't want to binge eat Oreos all day. What about, yeah. what about alcohol? Cause you know, alcohol sales, if you read anything are just through the roof and people are stuck at home. Yeah. I've uh, got nothing to do. Maybe Netflix or something, you know, alcohol does suppress the immune system somewhat, you know, an occasional toddy at night might help you. Everyone loves the special forces medics, man. You guys are the best. <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, Hey, we're, uh, you know, <laughs> kids out there, that doesn't mean come to Florida in spring break and drink 14 yeah. turquoise blue sippy drinks. And then exactly. That's not the cure there. You know, I think everything in moderation with diet, with alcohol is good. Uh, this is not, not a time to party hard, not a time to drink a lot. And the other issue too is acetaminophen Tylenol, which are the same thing. Acetaminophen is the same thing as Tylenol. So look on your medicines like NyQuil, for instance, has acetaminophen. In it. Um, acetaminophen is toxic to your liver and you combine it with alcohol. It's not a good combination. Now, I think, you know, if you had a toddy and you had a small amount of acetaminophen, I don't think that's, that's going to really put you out. But if you were taking two Tylenols every four hours and then you decided to drink a six pack, that could seriously hurt you, you know, seriously hurt you and, and in cases, some cases kill you. So you want your organ function optimized, kidney and liver, lungs and heart, everything. So watch out for acetaminophen and alcohol. Got it. Um, so equipment, you've alluded to this, the vaporizer machine and vape steam. I mean, we're getting at just how professional, uh, imagine that your care was of yourself. You talk about this is almost a full-time job. Well, yeah, yeah. sometimes being harder to kill is a full-time job. And when you get hurt, right. it's a full-time right. job to, to recover. It's no different than when you're doing mission prep or you're on the battlefield, you know, you're going at it 110%. In this case, it's 110% taking care of yourself. Uh, resting, I'll throw that out there. I would, I, you know, even now, you could tell I'm getting slightly out of breath, but you know, after I would take a shower, we'll talk about that stuff, but I would take a shower, you know, I lay down and rest for 10 minutes or something. The simplest task, if you're, the important thing is don't overdo it. Keep your energy levels up. Don't waste your energy doing things you don't need to. Um, so equipment, let's talk about equipment. Um, one of the most important, uh, 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 humidifier is great. VIX makes one, uh, the old school one, it's got a big clear water tank on it. It's got a heating element. They're great to have if you have kids. I don't see how anyone could survive having small kids and without a humidifier. <laughs> um, that and the vapor steam can really help moisturize your lungs. Um, you can use it at night. Now, it does sort of spread in the air, though, so you have to be careful about that, right? Yeah, yeah. and I'm not sure how that would affect, let's say, if you're in the room with your spouse. If you have symptoms, you should self-isolate and sleep in a different room. Now, have I done that all the time? No. Uh, early on, I didn't. And, and open a window and do that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Another thing that I do uh, for my uh, sleeping quarters is... I'll put a fan on the window blowing out. A blowing window, you could even put cardboard around it, duct tape, whatever. A box fan would be ideal. And, and put it on low and it blows out and it makes a negative pressure. So all the air in the house gets sucked from the rest of the house through your room where you're germy and coughing and then blows out the window. So that can really create an almost... Uh, that's a solid tip right there. Yeah, that's a real good pro tip <laughs> there as a negative pressure kind of thing. Any of us can make that easily on a window or a screen door and leave it on low all the time. And it kind of, you can use uh, incense, a candle, a match, blow it out, and you can watch the air move out of your room past you through the through this system. Oh, the other equipment, I talked about the pulse oximeter, uh, a nebulizer machine. They were 50 bucks on Amazon. Now they're 100. They may be more and separate face masks for family members. Um, they even have that sort of pipe type thing. Maybe saline that you can buy on Amazon. The little pink plastic things will help moisturize your lungs. My buddy that was uh, having trouble breathing uh, used it on himself and felt 100% better, didn't have to go to the ER. So that can be a lifesaver. If you have asthma or lung conditions, it's a, it's a no-brainer, a given. They're very common and cheap now. I've got this approach right now where I don't want people to just go into debt buying a bunch of stuff they're never going to need. Right. H however, if the alternative is go to the hospital and tax... Potentially die. And tax the system. Yeah, until you die. This is, th this is an actual need to be harder to kill, which is the goal. Mm -hmm. That's exactly it. This is not, you know, retail therapy or e-commerce therapy. They're going to have to call that some new name, right? This is to take care of yourself and your life and the livelihood of those around you. So 
there's not really a good reason to chintz on that stuff. Even if it's double what it cost three weeks ago, who, who cares? You didn't have COVID-19 three weeks ago. Exactly. Jason, you're relatively healthy. Your family's healthy. I'm, I imagine if you have immune conditions, if you have, you know, underlying health problems, hypertension, diabetes, obesity, coronary artery disease, you know, immune problems, you're a smoker, you, you need to invest in some of this equipment. And also stop smoking if you're smoking right now. Buy some nicotine patches if you have to. Smoking will, on top of a COVID infection, is terrible. Amazon's going to sell out of nicotine patches because Dr. Angel just right. recommended them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, tongue in cheek, I'm sure, but do what you got to do right now, especially. And I will say I'm not affiliated with any of these companies. There's no profit <laughs> motive. I'm not selling. I'm not the spokesman for Buckley's, you know, original cough syrup. Uh, or vapor rub uh, or water. I think this all comes across, Doc. I think it comes (laughs) across. So then you you got into hot baths and hygiene. So the hot hot bath. So I'll I'll go into that briefly. I I happen to have a hot tub. It's great for my back. Been in the field, suffering in Alaska. I'm all about being warm and comfortable and relaxing, you know, and having guests (laughs) take care of all my aches and pains, you know, carry a hundred pound pack on snowshoes in Alaska, 50 below. (laughs) I love a hot tub. So I have one, uh, even even in Texas. So uh, I noticed, you know, when uh, my wife and I would start to get sick, we would just sit, you know, up to our neck for 15 minutes, and it's on 103 degrees. It's where we keep it. You know, maybe it's an artificially induced fever. Maybe the heat may loosen secretions. You know, and I sit in it twice a day. It's just sort of therapy. Plus, it's full of chlorine and, and bromine salts that kill bacteria. You know, I used to get uh, MRSA infections from the hospital and stuff, and those all went away. Skin infections, which are common in the Q course, I'm sure you're very well aware, aware of MRSA infections. Guys that do grappling or do uh, uh, mixed martial arts. Cellulitis was the big thing. Cellulitis, they're constantly battling MRSA infections. And so a hot tub may be useful for them because it kills it all. So warm baths may help. Warm baths with Epsom salts is an old school remedy. A couple cups of Epsom salts, buy a big bag of Epsom salts. You take a warm bath, that takes away aches and pains. It may help draw, help draw out toxins. Of course, when you take those baths in those heat baths, you got underlying conditions. You may feel faint and weak. You've got to stay extra hydrated. Let me go back to the hydration real quick. Elderly people, this is a key point. If you're elderly, of course, you're high risk for corona, for complications. Uh, elderly people are often dehydrated. They don't have the same attitude towards water as the, the younger folks do. Drink a lot of water if you're elderly. You're automatically dehydrated. If some of our listeners get fevers, you know, I've heard accounts of people feel like their skin is on fire or I've got a 104 degree fever or you get night sweats or something like that. If you have those conditions, you're burning through water. If your respiration goes up, you're breathing in and out a lot more water. So whenever you lose water, you need to pay attention to put more in especially with fevers, you need to really. So if you're a mouth breather, breathe in double. Yeah, if you're a mouth breather, <laughs> knuckle dragger. <laughs> then drink even more. Yeah, we won't bring 18 Bravos in this. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, and so the last, it's just hygiene. It's it's a pretty basic hygiene, thing, but it just matters you know, more now. You know, we've all been there. You're in the field and stuff. Good hygiene, not only is it from an infectious disease, a great thing, a morale and psychological and depression booster. We're all holed up in quarantine. You know, I like to look at the old explorers like Ernest Shackleton, and, and I'm sure you've read some of those books when these guys are trapped, oh, yeah. you know, on the ice or on the desolate island for months eating, you know, seal meat or whatever they can eat. They essentially approached it. Most of them were military veterans, and they approached it with a schedule of hygiene. And, okay, we're going to brush our teeth every day. You know, even if it's with a twig, we're going to do a bath every day or every other day. So a shower or bath every day, change your clothes, new clothes, because the corona gets on the clothes. So clean clothes every day, shave, all the basic stuff. Pay attention to it. Uh, And, you know, you're going to need that, too. If you get really sick where you can barely take care of yourself, you're going to benefit from having those days of good hygiene. I think from a morale and a psychological and infectious disease standpoint, it can't be underestimated how important that is. You know, for me, I've, I've got kids and stuff running around. We're doing the social distancing thing a lot, but you know, you got a t-shirt on all of a sudden your kids are slobbering all over you or snot or whatever. 
I mean, and someone else's sneezes, your your t-shirts can absorb that to some extent. So change your clothes a lot more often. We've been doing a lot more laundry. We've been running the dishes more. I mean, we're here at home more. And I think your your list here, which we've which we've run through, is just the basics. Yeah. These are basic immune support, basic care. Yeah. So in some, it's breathing is a big sign that something's really bad. In in addition to the pulse oximeter, right? Yeah. Below 93, 94. Yeah. And that would be a sign when you would actually want to consider going to the hospital. Yeah. And other than that, what you've outlined are steps to avoid that, not only for yourself, but for our society, our global society at this point as a whole, so that we're not taxing resources at the hospital. Yeah. So, I mean, I've got a huge amount of respect for you and for just the, the whole healthcare industry. I mean, I just don't hear any complaining. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got a, a buddy who's an ER doc in New York City right now. And he's like, I had a tube of 27 year old yesterday. Oh, that's tough. That's One tough. of his fellow doctors is in ICU right now because he got it because, you know, you're there treating patients all day. You're having to use masks too long. I mean, you're on the front lines. There's not complaining. There's just a desire to help people. It just, everybody just wants to know what more they can do. And the hard thing, the hard thing to accept is you need to stay home and social distance and do that stuff. But you've outlined how to take the steps so that you don't tax the system more. And then we've talked some about just the importance of doing that. Yeah. That's why we're both here doing this. So got any sort of final remarks for the folks out there? Yeah, I did want to bring this up. It can kill anyone. It is very, very serious. It's nothing to take lightly. Okay, and that's why you and I are here doing this. First of all, do what you're supposed to do. Wash hands a lot. Any foaming soap will work. Uh, social distancing, just get in a, get in a habit. Um, the second point I want to make is that there's a significant delay in symptoms from when you're exposed uh, to when you get very sick. And that's what makes it so hard. You know, we're all on a 24-hour news cycle and we're used to things being pretty rapid. Uh, I had seen some information from China that, you know, the average time that someone presented with symptoms till they died was 17 days. And like I said, it take, may take, you know, five days or so to show symptoms for when you're exposed. It may take another week where you have mild symptoms. And then that second week is where you get worse and you're in that danger zone. So those are the points. And I also want to give you some hope and, and we'll get through this and we'll tough it out and we'll get through it and we'll be hopeful and we'll be strong and we'll be positive and we'll get the job done. That's what I want to leave you guys with. Thanks for Jason for having me on to try and help people. Thanks so much, Doc. It's been awesome chatting with you. It's just, you know, thank you for your for your service all these decades in, in the Army as well as as being a doc and just wanting to, to educate people. And I, I just hope people listen. So, oh, so what's next for you? Like once you get out, what's your, what's your plan? Um, I got to, once I get re- completely recovered and I'm symptom free, then I'm back to work. Luckily I'm working at pretty small places and I'm, I'm almost semi-retired. I'm not working too hard, but I'll, I'll be there, you know, if people need me and, uh, you know, my wife works, we've got a kids and a special needs child. So I'm, I'm very busy. Otherwise that's it. I'm just driving on. So take what, uh, take what the good doc here has to say to help you all and, and get out there. It's not just about you. Don't just keep it to yourself either. Tell your friends and sort of help everyone around you get through this. So thanks again, doc. Maybe we'll have you on again if, if things keep progressing and thanks for your time today, sir. God bless. Thank you. You too. All right. So that's a wrap on episode four of Glorious Professionals with Dr. Angel. Two things. That guy's got a heart of gold. His only mission in all of this is just to help people. And the other is he helped me. I feel better prepared to know what to do if I start to get the signs so that I can self-treat. And I feel a greater responsibility to protect those who are in the healthcare industry by not going to the hospital if I can at all avoid it. So Hope you got some value out of this. Spread the good word and tell your friends.